Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. We are going to be over in Luke chapter 1, so if you want to turn there, Luke chapter 1. And we are continuing in this season of Advent. We're almost done waiting in the sense of waiting for the celebration of Christ's birth. But there are other things that we're still waiting for. If you'd raise your hand, let the ushers see you. All right. December the 1st, first Sunday of December, we had the Lord's Supper together. Remember, Jim led us um, totally different way of doing the Lord's Supper. It kind of reminded me of our greeting time with the Lord's Supper mixed in is what it reminded me of because everybody everywhere. But it was a sweet time of fellowship. And the Lord's Supper is not just a reminder of what Christ has done for us, but it's also a part of the waiting. Do you realize that every time we do the Lord's Supper, there's a waiting involved in that, in particular on the part of the Lord Jesus, because he told his disciples that he wasn't going to eat it again until he took it with them in the kingdom. And so there's a waiting, there's an anticipation of that day when we will have that feast with the Lord again, when we're with him. And so we began December with that picture of waiting in the Lord's Supper. In the second week of December, Aaron was talking about waiting is not wasting when you're waiting on God. It's not a waste to wait. It's not, and and that's so contrary to our North American mindset. We really feel like anything that's slowing down the process is a hindrance that needs to be removed. Waiting is not wasting if you're waiting on God. We looked at Mary's life. Remember, we looked at the the angel appearing to her and Mary's response. And as Aaron pointed out, you have humility in that response. You have a willingness and you have a trusting. I would say in one word, what you see in Mary is surrender. It's It's a big word. It's an important word. It's an unpleasant word at times when you practice it. But it is the key word here. It wraps up all three of those into one. Surrender. Week two, Aaron was talking about waiting. That when we're waiting, we're not alone. Because when we're waiting, God is with us. This whole idea of Emmanuel. And remember he used the picture and the the Greek word that talked about overshadowing. Where it talks about Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you, overshadow you. And that word's only used in three places. He went back to the Old Testament, showed us how it was used there in the tabernacle. When the Shekinah glory came and it filled the tabernacle. You see it there with Mary in Luke chapter 1. And then you also see it again over in Acts at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. He's filling them. The picture that you see with this waiting, when you're waiting with God, you're waiting with God. The picture is him filling you. It isn't just this arbitrary waiting. It isn't just, oh, I'm waiting and sooner or later we'll be done. We'll be through all of this. No, there's a filling that's going on. There's a filling in the Old Testament. There's a filling in the New Testament, this filling of his spirit. I'm surrendering, and while I'm surrendering, he's filling. This filling is taking place. It's ongoing, because that's what Ephesians tells us. The filling of the Spirit. And by the way, how many of you would like to experience 
love, and joy, and peace. How many would like to do that? Do you realize that that's impossible to experience it to its fullest without the filling, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit? Because it's what he produces. And all the other things that, that are listed there in Galatians chapter 5 that he produces. We want the fruit. We often ignore the filling. And you can't have one without the other. I like the filling. As a matter of fact, every time we use this now, I think about one of our men's gatherings where Pastor Paul taught us how to make doughboys, I think. Is that what they're called? Oh, these are heaven. These are like manna, all right? These doughboys. How many have ever had doughboys? How many don't know what doughboys are? Bless your heart. That's a southern thing. All right. Doughboys, for those who want to try it maybe over the holidays, you get canned biscuits, all right? You know, the, the, what Jerry Clower used to call WAP biscuits. You WAP them on the counter and they pop open. You get some of them WAP biscuits. And you take, you take one out, you wrap it around a little. What's, do you, they were about that big around, the little dowel rods. They're just big dowel rods. look like the end of a broom hand, maybe a little bit bigger. I guess it depends on how much filling you want to put in there. But anyway, you, you can get them about yay big around. You put that biscuit around it. And over the fire, you just keep turning it. Now, that's a lot of work. If you can get somebody to turn it for you, that's my, I like to do that. It, and then kind of jump in there at the end and finish it up. But it begins to rise. It begins to cook, you know, that, that biscuit does. And then you put all kinds of filling. And you know, there was some pie filling. I mean, there's, you could, whatever you like, you can fill on the inside. Of it and then just, oh, it's good. It's just good. It's not. Now, if you had it without the filling... It's just a biscuit cooked over a fire on a stick. But you put the filling in it. It's a, it totally changes everything. When Paul said, we're going to do doughboys, it's like, what are doughboys? Now if he says doughboys, like, sign me up. I'm there. I thought at first he might be talking about me. I'm a doughboy. But no, that's not, that's not what he was talking about. All right? The filling makes all the difference. Folks, we can't ignore the filling if we want the fruit. The fruit's a byproduct of the filling. And it's ongoing. It's every day. It's this work that he wants to do in our life. So God's not just hanging out with us for no purpose. He's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us, because he's filling us. He's changing. He's transforming. And so things come along in your life and in my life. And it doesn't look like that love and joy and peace and that patience and that gentleness and self-control and all the things that are listed there. And so those become red flags for me. They're, they're warning signs. It's like when you're driving your car. You ever been driving your car and one of those lights come on? I'm not talking about the one that's on all the time that you just ignore, all right? Um, every, how many got a car like that? You got one that's just on all the time. We just ignore that, all right? But I'm talking about one you weren't expecting and it pops on and immediately you're trying to figure out what's going on. What's it signaling? When we see the lack of this fruit in our life, when I see the opposite of joy and peace and love and gentleness and patience, when I see the opposite of that, it's those warning lights, it's those, symbol, the, the, those symptoms for us. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's an area where I want to fill. I want to work in this area. And we're surrendering to that. And then as we continue on this week, it isn't just the fact that we're waiting, but it's what we become while we're waiting. Because the fact is, I can become bitter and sour while I'm waiting. I can become isolated while I'm waiting. What are we becoming while we're waiting? What, 
we become while we're waiting is just as important as what we're waiting for. What do we become? We're going to see that in the life of Mary this morning. But it's really important that we understand that, and again, this is so contrary to how we are, I think as human beings, but especially as human beings who live in this country. It's all about the destination. It's all about the goal. Goals are not bad. I have goals. I set goals every day. Goals are not, a, they're, they're not the enemy. But the problem is, in most of our, our, our North American mindset, the goal is, the, the objective is the end all. Everything else doesn't matter, just getting to that. And once we get to that, well, then we celebrate that. That's important. That's praiseworthy. What about all the stuff that led up to achieving the goal? What if God changes the goal? Anybody ever experienced that? You started out with one goal, but as you're going along, God changed the goal? Have you ever, has he ever done that to you? does it to me all the time. I thought it was this, and then I get further along down the road and realize it wasn't that at all. Who you're becoming while you're waiting is just as important as what you're waiting for. Now, we see this in Mary. And I want you to look with me. Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 46. This is called... Mary's Magnificat. Magnificat is a Latin word because the, if in Latin, the very first part of this is that word. And so it's called Mary's Magnificat. Literally her praise, her worship, her, her expression of worship to the Lord. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I love this. This wasn't just a physical exercise. This came from the deepest part of who she is. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. See there's that humility again. I'm nobody Lord but you looked on me anyway. This, this kind of harkens back to David, King David when he said who am I that you should even take notice of me? This is Mary. This is her heart as she's worshiping the Lord. For behold from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. I want to ask you this morning, the one who is mighty, has he done great things for you? See, this song isn't just her song. It's her song. And so it goes on. Not only has he done great things for me, holy is his name. He's holy. He's set apart. He's unique. He's like no one else. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It's not just for one or for a few, and it's not just for a certain time. It's from generation to generation to those who take God seriously. Literally. That's, I like to translate the fear of the Lord that way. You take God seriously. He goes on. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I wonder if she was thinking about Herod as she's going through this. We don't know. It doesn't say. But Herod's sitting there on his throne, but he's quickly going to be brought down. But he appears to be the one in control. He's fighting, he's fighting to stay in power, stay in control, not lose what he has. And she says, no, the mighty arm of God, it brings down the mighty from their thrones, but it exalts those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped. He's helped his servant Israel. 
not just Israel. He's helped all, I guess you can say Israel because we've all been adopted in. But he has helped his servant Israel. He's helped us in remembrance of his mercy. He didn't do it because we earned it. He didn't do it because we got everything right. He did it because he's merciful. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and then she returned home. We surrender. That's the first we are really the second we depend on how you're counting these weeks but Aaron's first message it's about surrender that's what this waiting is for in the waiting we surrender in week two in the waiting we are filled because we're not waiting alone so God's doing this filling this Holy Spirit's doing this ongoing filling work in us then what does he do when we surrender and when we're being filled he makes us worshipers he makes us worshipers. Do you know what this world needs more of? Worshipers. Those who would worship him. We worship all kinds of stuff. But those who worship him. He made Mary a worshiper. Now, what I love about this is she's worshiping by faith because this, where this is all happening is early on in her pregnancy. This is within the first three months, somewhere in the first trimester. We don't know exactly where, but she's only with Elizabeth for three months. So she gets the announcement. She leaves her home, goes into the hill country of Judea where Elizabeth is. And it says Elizabeth's already six months along at this point. So Mary stays for three months. In other words, she stays until Elizabeth has her baby. She's there in that last trimester of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so as she's there, all that has been promised to her all that the angel has said, all the promises that she has believed and said, be it unto me according to your word, none of it has happened yet other than the fact she's probably noticed now as this time goes on, something's changed within me. But she's worshiping anyway. She's worshiping by faith. She's worshiping before the fulfillment of the very thing that God promised I thought about how to be a worshiper while I'm waiting. That's the trick, isn't it? I can worship easily after it's fulfilled. Ooh, that's easy. Man, we have a party after it's done. But while I'm waiting, worshiping while, I'm better at worrying and complaining than I am worshiping when it's not finished, when I'm still waiting. How did Mary become a worshiper? Well, we know she surrendered. And we know that there's this ongoing filling. But there's, there are keys in the text. One I had seen before, one I had never seen before until just recently. The one that I had seen before, a number of years ago, I was sitting just kind of meditating on this passage. And I thought, you know, she left. When she finds out she's pregnant, and again, Aaron brought this out in one of the messages. This is not a day when you can go, matter of fact, even today, Somebody comes up to you and says, yeah, I'm a virgin, but I'm pregnant. You're like, no, you're not. I mean, you may be pregnant, but you're not a virgin. We know how this works. And so my thought process for years, I would read this passage in Luke 1, and I would think she, it says immediately she left, and she went into the Judean hill country to be with Elizabeth. And I thought, yeah, she wants to get away from some of the scrutiny, some of the shame, some of, you know, the, the, the eyes and the little comments. And she's wanting to kind of avoid some of that. Kind of like, you know, at a time in, in history here, and even in our own country, it's like you got 
you got pregnant outside of wedlock, outside of marriage, and that was embarrassing for the family, so they'd send you off somewhere, and before you showed and come back after the baby was born and try to hide the whole thing, and all of a sudden now there's a new cousin in the family or something, you know? And, and so there was a way in years past where this kind of thing happened. And so in my mind, I'm thinking that's kind of what's going on here. There's a problem with that logic. She's not showing yet. This is the first trimester. She's just barely pregnant. It's, matter of fact, she comes back home at three months. Now's when it's going to begin to show up that she's actually pregnant. She's with child. So my theory of her going to kind of get away from some of the shame or that, nobody knows at this point. So why is she going to be with Elizabeth? Now this is really important if you want to be a worshiper. When you are in the waiting, you need to be intentional about seeking out people of faith who are walking with the Lord and experiencing his work, his promises in their life. You need to be intentional about it. You need to hang out with those kind of people. Not people are going to tell you, girl, this is a mistake, all right? You shouldn't, you know, this is bad, all right? I don't need people to, I can find a hundred people to tell me a situation's bad. I already know it's bad. I need somebody who can see with eyes of faith to say, yeah, this is bad, but God's bigger. He's greater. We're going to trust him. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Don't know what it's all going to look like. I just know God's faithful. I can trust him. But you need to spend time with those kind of people. I, my parents, one of their favorite verses when I was growing up is, evil companions corrupt right living. All right? That's a, that's a favorite verse of all parents, right? Evil companions corrupt right living. You say, what does that mean? That means you hang out with the wrong kind of folks, you act the wrong way. All right? You behave the wrong way. That's kind of what that means. But it goes deeper than that. We're not, not trying to stay away from bad people kind of thing or people who are doing, quote, the wrong thing. We're intentionally seeking out people in our life who are going to encourage us in following Jesus. They're going to encourage us by, in living by faith. I don't have the luxury to hang out with faithless people. I don't have that luxury. Amen. I don't know that you do either. Now you say, well, what about somebody who's lost? That's a whole different story. But someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and constantly stays in a place of faithlessness, I... That's not, a good, that's not a good place to be. Amen. Not for them and not for you. You want to intentionally look for those people who are going to encourage you and say, yeah, I know it seems crazy and incredible. I'm going through crazy and incredible in my life too. That's just who God is. That's what he loves to do. You're going to find in this journey that it's sometimes hard to find faith-filled people. It's a challenge at times. So you ask the Lord, Lord, give me eyes to see. Lead me in the right direction. By the way, just so you know, faith-filled people aren't going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. How many of you right now, you can think of people in your life that no matter what you're going through, how bad your attitude is, how stinky your thinking is, you go talk to them and they're just going to empathize with you and, oh yeah, you're right, that's terrible, and you know, you're just, you know, be doing, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. You can think of them right now. Don't look at them, but you can think of them right now, okay? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. 
But how many do you have in your life that you know you be having stinking thinking and all that complaining and all that faithfulness and you go to them and they're not going to go, oh, poor you. They're going to look at you and say, yeah, it's rough, but here's what God wants to do. Here's another way to see it. We need those people in our life desperately. I need them. You need them. I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of them. Mary did this. So look for people. You want to be a worshiper while you're waiting. You want to learn how to be a worshiper. Spend time with people who are walking by faith, who are trusting God as they go through the process, okay? Now here's the second one. This one I had never seen before. While you're there in Luke chapter 1, flip back to the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 2. All right? 1 Samuel, it's back there near the beginning. All right? Like seven books in, I think. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Okay? Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we have another, young, another woman. I don't know how young or old she is. But she's of childbearing years, and she has been crying out for a child. Hannah has been, I mean, she longs for a child. And her marital situation is complicated because there's more than one wife in this deal. And, and the other wife's having kids, but Hannah's not having children. And so you've got these things going on here. Look with me, chapter 2. She's crying out. And look there, it says, Hannah prayed. This is after God fulfills her desire, gives her a child, and she is now, um, she's, she's now had this child. She's gone through all that. Remember, she's there in the temple, or there in the tabernacle. Eli is making, he thinks she's drunk. You know, all these things are going on. She's had all of this challenge in her life. Now she has a son, and she gets to her prayer in chapter 2. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, or the bows, excuse me, the bows of the mighty are broken. But the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail, and the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, I want to show you something I had never seen. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah says, My heart exalts in the Lord. I rejoice in thy salvation. 
Mary says in verse 49, holy is his name. Hannah says in verse 2, there is none holy like the Lord. Verse 52, Mary says, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. Verse 4, Hannah says, the, bow, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Verse 53, Mary says, he, was filled, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Verse 5, Hannah says, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Do you see similarities here? They're not word for word. Mary's not quoting this word for word. She's reciting what she has saturated her heart with. She's heard these stories. She's read them or had them read to her. She's heard them talked about. She's heard them communicated. And so when she begins to worship this reservoir of riches, that she has put into her soul comes flooding out. Not only do you and I need people in our lives who are walking by faith, we learn, we're challenged, we're encouraged by that. But we need to fill our life with the word of God and with words even that others have written as they walk with God. Can I tell you this morning, my life has been changed, radically changed by two things. The people I've met and the books I've read. Radically changed by the people I've met and the books I've read. People who have walked and are walking by faith. People who are trusting God, who've seen him move and work in their life when it didn't make any sense. And I was challenged. I was encouraged. I was, I was given, the Lord would give greater revelation just because of the relationship with these people. And sometimes it was knowing them pretty well. Sometimes it was just a very brief encounter. The second thing, though, is the stories in God's Word and the stories of people who have walked with God. What do you read? Do you read? In this generation, does anybody read? I don't know. Do we read anymore? Again, I don't want to be the old guy condemning technology, okay? Uh, I don't, there's no point in that. But with all the different ways we have to read now, we seem to be reading less. And we have multiple ways to do it. What do you read? I've shared with you before. I have heroes of the faith. Some are listed here in scripture. Others have come along much later. But they've taken as their journey with the Lord and in the scripture and what God's done in their life changed the course of my life. Hudson Taylor, one of my favorites. Hero. Andrew's middle name is named after Hudson Taylor. He's Andrew Taylor. Andrew, I'm Andrew. Andrew's changed my life too, but uh, in different ways. Hudson Taylor. I remember reading about his desire to go to China. And he was working actually in a chemist office, as I recall, back in England. But he wanted to go to China. He was trusting the Lord. But he knew he, he, wanted to, he wanted to go a different way. He wanted to go by faith. He wanted to learn how to walk by faith. And so he began to practice that while he was still in England. Well, I was a young man living on my own at that point in time, not making a whole lot. But I'm thinking, well, if Hudson Taylor could learn to live by faith, maybe I could learn to live by faith. And begin to, I began to see God do some things in my life. 
is that I say, Lord, rather than, and one of the big things that Hudson Taylor did is rather than going to the obvious place to ask for help, he just would go to the Lord and pray. I thought, Lord, it's easier to go to people than it is just to ask you. He's like, no, ask me. My life was radically changed by that. Hudson Taylor learned and, and practiced frugality in a way that I had never really even thought about up until that point. But learn how to limit. Uh, Larry Burkett used to say it this way. We often think about how much we give and we judge ourselves based on how much we give away. Larry Burkett said, how much do you keep for yourself? That would be a better standard. Not how much do you give, how much do you keep? How much do you use just on you? I've always been challenged by that thought. It's an expensive place to live here in these United States. But how do we learn to say, Lord, I want to live simply so others can simply live? And this is a challenge. And there's not one way. And by the way, don't look at your neighbor and think, well, I do it and they don't. All right? Because God's going to speak to each of us in individual ways. But he began to speak to me in ways and things that I was doing. Ways that I was spending what little money I did have. So I want you to change. I want you to trust me in this. These people changed my life. George Mueller started orphanages in Bristol. Did not ask, in 40 years of ministry, did not ask anyone for money. Simply prayed and let their needs be, and let their needs be known to the Lord. And at the height of that ministry, there were 2,000 orphans a day they were feeding by faith. 2,000 a day. Not mentioning all the buildings that they had and all that had to be taken care of. All by faith. What are you reading? What are you putting in your heart and your mind? You are not going to find faith on the evening news. I'm not against watching the evening news. I watch it occasionally at least twice a year. All right? Okay? I'm not against it, but you will find no faith in it. You will not find faith in Florida today more than likely. There might be a particular article that where it shows up, but in general, you're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it in a million. Your favorite magazine probably won't have it either unless it's a magazine designed to build faith. You probably won't find it there either. The articles, the endless things that we read online, are they building faith? You want to be a worshiper. While you're waiting with the Lord, while you're surrendering and being filled, you want to saturate your life with people, whether it's people in person are people that you read about who walk by faith, have walked by faith. Because it challenges you, it changes you. God uses it. This is the reason Revelation 12 says, they overcame by what? The blood of the Lamb. Yeah, the blood of the Lamb. We believe that. Yes, blood of the Lamb. We sing songs about that. What's the next one? The word of their testimony. Stories. Sharing what God has done and is doing. Stories. And because they didn't hold on to their lives, they let them go. They surrendered. They didn't, the scripture says they didn't love their lives even unto death. They were even willing to die. To walk this thing out. While you're waiting, it's not just important what you're waiting for. I mean, that's important, but it's not... It's not the only thing. Just as important is who you're becoming while you're waiting.
He wants to make us worshipers. All the time, everywhere. You love to be around worshipers. I do. And by the way, worshiping isn't just coming in here and singing some songs. That's great. That's part of worship. Worship is a declaration of who good, how good God is all the time. It can be spoken word. It can be sung word. It can be without words. But it's communicated all the time, everywhere. How good God is in your life and in my life. You say, Pastor, we live in a broken world and it's a mess out there. It is a mess out there and it's probably going to get worse. Merry Christmas. All right? It's probably going to get worse. It is broken. But I know the one who's not broken. He's never been hindered. He's never been stopped by any of the brokenness of this world. As a matter of fact, he loves to come into that brokenness and bring healing and health and wholeness. That's what he loves to do. That's what he wants to do in you and me. Surrender. Be filled. Let him make you a worshiper. I want you to bow your heads with me. It's a simple question, and I think we need to ask ourselves this on a fairly regular basis. I have to ask myself this. Am I spending time with people, whether in person or in written form, that are challenging me in my faith, that are strengthening me? That are causing me say I want to know Jesus more I want to experience more of who he is and what he wants to do in me during this holiday season you're going to have all kinds of people probably that you'll encounter Some will be happy because, well, they got what they wanted for Christmas. Or the circumstances worked out the way they wanted, and that's fine. I'm not opposed to that kind of happiness. But it's fleeting. It doesn't last very long. You'll meet others that, as my dad used to say, they'd be, they wouldn't be happy if you hung them with a new rope. I don't know where that saying came from, but he used to say it all the time. We just are always unhappy. We always lack joy. There are those people. I want to pray for them. I want to encourage them. I want to be light. But I also recognize that what my soul needs is it needs companionship and fellowship and relationship with people who are walking by faith or have walked by faith. Maybe they're with the Lord now, but I read about them. How do you spend your time? It's, you want a fun exercise over the holidays? Take Hebrews 11 and go through and read about those heroes of faith again. And think through their story and say, Lord, would you show me some new insight into their story I've never seen before? Because most of these stories we're really familiar. We grew up, if, especially if you grew up in church. 
You know them. But Lord, would you show me something I've never seen out of their story? Would you give me fresh revelation of faith? And then, if you're still waiting, and you're thinking, well, when, when it all finally comes together, when the Lord does what he says he's going to do, then I'll worship. Can I challenge you? Can I be that friend of faith in your life this morning and say, don't wait. Don't wait. Worship him now. Because he's worthy. You say, Troy, I don't feel like it. Wouldn't it be hypocritical? <laughs> no. No. It'd be transformational is what it'd be. Do you always do something just because you feel like it? No. There are many things in our life we do because we know we should do them even though we don't feel like it yet. Worship Him. If you need help, find a means, find an outlet, find a way. Maybe there's someone who does it with you. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's others worshiping and you can enter into. But become a worshiper while you're waiting. My soul magnifies the Lord. Read the Psalms. David was always worshiping. Lord, I ask too that as your people, as we would press in during this season and desire to be worshipers, I pray you would You'd take us where we've not been. You'd show us what we've not seen. We'd experience more than we've ever known. Lord, you're so good. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good with every breath that I'm able. I will sing of the goodness of God.